Well, this is we can kick off with this then. I've just, in fact, before we do kick off with this, I've sent you the letter. Do you want to have a quick read of, of oh my, my work in progress? It. Send it to us now. <laughs> it's no, on WhatsApp. Let's have a look. See, have you have you have you watched this stuff no. as well? No, no. Dan? I, I haven't no. had time. I haven't had time either. Well, this isn't. I don't think. Is it worth yes, doing it is. this? We we'll disagree with everything. You just we'll disagree, with me. Of course, we'll disagree with everything you have to say. From the desk. <laughs> You're not Walter Cronkite. What's this? At the very, very top. My letterhead. From the Grace desk. Where's your middle name? Get your middle name in there. Um, oh, oh it could be any Gregor. You'll never know. Oh, you're going to need a, you're going to need a, legit, a legitimate email as well. You can't have a Gmail. <laughs> Gracefullyguide.com or something. <laughs> right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can I Interject? Exciting times. This is our 10th episode Recording, whoa, calm yourself, don't get too excited now. It's uh, Daniel here today to MC the events, and with me as usual, I have Gregor. Hello. And Neil. Happy 10th anniversary. Oh, it's an exciting time for everyone. <laughs> and, and because of lockdown, we can't even have cake and put bunting up, so it's such a shame. We can do so, those things. <laughs> I suppose it's still good, yeah, but it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very lonely. Just sit there, eat a cake by yourself. That sounds fine. So, we've got another action-packed episode with uh, going back to a vintage board game as well for this episode, so stay tuned for that. But to begin with, as usual, uh, we'll just have a quick, quick catch-up and see what everyone's been up to. So, Neil, what's going on in Tier 3? Uh, I'm not in tier three yet. I went out for dinner last night, actually, so it was we're still uh, pretty safe here, apparently. Um, yeah, not been up very much. I've been injured, so I went for my first run yesterday. Still practicing full nasal breathing, um, with all the great benefits that I've uh, explained in previous podcasts. But yeah, not too much about that. Just been uh, relaxing and going, waiting it out until we go into the inevitable lockdown. How about you, girl? I well, went up to see Dan and my sister last week. Uh, they they hosted us in their back garden. Had a nice coffee, instant. Lots of coffee, <laughs> lots of milk. Just how I like it. Um, I've been playing. I had a couple of sessions of Fall Guys. You've heard heard or played this? It's a video no, game. no, no. It's like it's kind of like Takeshi's Castle, except you're like a jelly bean, <laughs> jelly bean kind okay. of person. Okay. It's 60 rather than, I think, Takeshi Castle is 100 plus. So that was quite fun, probably. No, we're playing... Oh, yeah, Games Night tonight, actually. You should mention that. No, it's Among Us. Among Us and Scythe, I think, we're going to be playing. And a few of the, few of the old staples. Uh, yeah, so... So that's pretty... I mean, it's been a quiet couple of weeks, really. And Dan, yourself? Back to work now. Been back for a week, into the swing of things. Happy times. Time's passing much more quickly now. 
and we're just yeah it's just all about the run-up to christmas now isn't it or or more importantly the run-up to a certain event a week on tuesday which i think we're all very excited about i am because i have a not insignificant amount of money on the outcome <laughs> well, I, I, I missed it i missed it when uh when when the going was good, I'm now I'm now, I'm now just I'm just gonna look at the I might I might have a look at the the state the state betting. There's still value there. Your, there is your mugs. State is in state betting, and there's a couple of request events that I saw that were alright as well. But I mean, yeah. like a lot lower margins than what it was a couple of months ago. Yeah, well, it's. I think the orange man has it. I think the orange man has it. <laughs> Obviously, Greg, Greg introduced us recently to... Well, he recommended a podcast to us. And I've been listening... I've been an avid listener because they've started posting every day yeah. in the run-up. And it is really good. It's You know, it's it's impartial. And, yep. it, it you know, it reflects, you know, polling figures. And it, you know, they, they say regularly, it could, be, it could go any way. You, know, you can't guarantee anything. But when they're discussing the possibility of uh, Texas and Georgia going blue... Things start getting interesting. Yeah, I think well, based on this five thirty eight website and podcast, and they've currently got Biden at about thirty five percent chance taking Texas. So that's interesting. That's pretty high, pretty high. Georgia's pretty much a toss up just now. I think based on the polling. Yeah, yeah. They had they had, what they said they said for a, for a clean sweep for the Democrats to take control of all three levels of government was seventy seven percent. Not bad. Yeah, it's creeping up. Because I think yeah. they're pretty much assuring for the house. Yeah, well, I mean, they've already got it, so yeah, just have to hold it. But yeah, so yeah, nothing, nothing exciting, I'm afraid. Nothing apart from obviously the delightful company of yourself, Gregor, and your your lovely other half. Yep. But yeah, very uneventful, I'm afraid. So. See, we just we, we live such boring lives, but it, it's good to let the world know about how boring we are. Yep. <laughs> so I think we'll move on to let's move swiftly on and we'll go on to our first subject and that is being given to us today, it's being presented to us today by Neil and I've got a sneaking suspicion it might be a health related one oh listeners are keep- <laughs> health and fitness back with your your own personal trainer Neil <laughs> my week may have pe- appeared boring on the outside but when you go delve into it I spent five days so fasting. So was even more dull than you so, previously. <laughs> it so was, your insides were quite boring as well. It was a, <laughs> it was a very calm, relaxing five days, uh, full of hunger and water. Talk about chicken, apparently. Uh, I remember that bit. <laughs> did you get your? Did you get your daily? Le- you, did you allow yourself a daily lemon this time? I only had one lemon for the oh, whole week. Wow. Well, the whole five days. The whole five. Well. It was actually, it was my future father-in-law's birthday on the Monday, so I had a very hard time of fasting on that because we had a lunch, a last-minute last minute lunch due. So I went and had a, a salad and a black coffee to keep the calories low at an Italian restaurant. And then until Friday lunchtime, I fasted just water. I went for maybe a 5K walk every day. And yeah, I was. I'll, I'll just go through day by day. It was the hunger kicked in on Monday night. It wasn't really big of big of a. There wasn't very much of a deal. Um, used to intermittent fasting anyway. I spent a lot of my time just having one meal a day. So I'm used to the feeling of hunger. 
Second day, I think most days were pretty much the same. Third day, was it got quite hard where I was just craving the taste of food. Uh, I don't know if you've ever... Well, you've probably not been in this situation, but it's just nice to... <laughs> just nice to... The satisfaction you get from just the smell of food. No, we're not quite that sadistic, masochistic yet. Sometimes you just go in and just smell food. And I, it was, I've done this fast three times now in varying lengths. And I've always found every time I do it, all I do is sit and watch food programs all day, every day. <laughs> I'm just glued to the food network. Uh, it, just seem, it just seems, uh, I just crave it. But it was remarkably easy. I got into fairly moderate ketosis with it, which I was expecting. First time I've actually been in ketosis, even though I've done the carnivore diet. You must have been in ketosis on your last water fast. Oh, it was, yeah, sorry. The, the first time, but I never tested myself. Yeah, right, okay. I would have been, but I, I've only started testing myself this year. And, I mean, I don't know how much you guys know about it, but there is remarkable health benefits. Maybe not to the average Joe, but there's remarkable health benefits to fasting in the long term, especially for people with illnesses under medical supervision people with obesity it's uh, good for long-term fasting i mean the rule of three is you can go three weeks without food so it's not really a, it's not damage to your system but the theory behind it is that your it gives your body a rest to recover to rebuild reheal i see it as kind of like a a health service an mot for your body giving yourself a service so it's just kind of a refresh. I always, I always do it. I crave doing it out of extremely indulgent periods of time. So I've done it after summer holidays. I've done it after Christmas. This time I've just been six months of increasing weight gain that I would like to shed off. So and I've and I'm also injured, so I had to take time off three weeks off the gym. So I think this is a good time to do it. Have you any of you guys? Oh, Gregor, I know you're into a bit of fasting. Yeah, I mean, yourself. generally, I mean, I'd say I'd practice intermittent fasting before I kind of knew what it was, because I'd often, I mean, go back to school, like, I'd rarely eat breakfast and first meal would be around about lunchtime, so about half past midday, and I've had, I'd had to have dinner at, like, six o'clock, so I was intermittent fasting at high school, probably, without even thinking about it, and I, that was naturally, I wasn't really hungry till later in the day. I started again later in life. Like I rarely eat breakfast unless they could do it kind of consciously and make an effort to. Like I don't generally get hungry until later morning. And yeah, I've started on the five-two diet. I watched a bit of Michael Mosley, and I've read up about fasting before as well. And from what I can see, there's there's plenty of evidence on the the various health benefits of it. But yeah, I've been doing the five two for the last two weeks, fairly, fairly easy. Because like I say, I'm, I don't get hungry till the lunchtime anyway. You get six, six hundred, eight hundred calories a day. I think it is for men. Uh, I think I've probably got six hundred in food, and then the rest is probably in diluting juice. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's easy because I'm not hungry in the morning. I have a substantial lunch because it's just just my usual lunch: my veg, tuna, and a dressing. So it's a, a massive bowl, though, and that does me till dinner anyway. And I'm, I'm going to bed like nine, so it's only really if I'm hungry, it's only for a couple of hours. It's not really a big deal. Like I do see, I do feel I tend to eat more at the weekends. So I'm doing on Monday and Thursday, so Monday's less of a struggle. I do feel a bit low energy towards the end of Thursday because usually healthy days are 
Tuesday and Wednesday as well. But I find it very conflicting the the theory of intermittent fasting because there's a lot of evidence to suggest that breakfast is very beneficial to have for mm-hmm. diet wise. And I seen a good meme a few weeks ago, and it's it's so true that skipping breakfast is now just called intermittent fasting. Yeah, it used to just called skipping breakfast, and so it's quite conflicting because I do the same. I don't eat breakfast. I don't eat till two, three in the afternoon most days, unless it's the weekend, which I'll have a breakfast at twelve. But yeah, I, I, they say if you're going to do intermittent fasting, right, you should eat between say nine and three. Yeah, and so you're fa- fasting in your sleep, but. That's a lot harder, less fun to do. It depends what you're exercising and what, what your kind of daily routine is as well in terms of sleep and things, I suppose. Yeah. Do you exercise fasting? So I've not so far, but I'm going to try and incorporate it. So I do my exercise days on my non-fasting days. So I've got my five, well, I've got four ex- I've got four way days a week. And I've got three, like, I was doing before I started intermittent fasting. They were, going, they were like leg core days. So just like basic circuits. So I've, I've not done them since I started intermittent fasting, uh, but I'll probably get back into it now that I've kind of got used to it. Yeah, I think it's just a, a groove you, you get into because I can't eat before the gym. It's just I'd do a twenty-four hour fast, then go to the gym, and I'd just be as much energy as I would if I'd just eaten. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I, I always eat, I tend to eat a breakfast now that I'm working from home. It's just like high fiber stuff, like cereals and nuts and stuff. But yeah, that's like four hours before I work out, so it's not I, I can't. After doing, having done a lot of cardio running and stuff in the past, I found no no future in eating within about two hours of going to the gym. No. Dan, what about you? Are you a fasting guy? No, no, I'm not. Um, no. <laughs> I don't. Very holistic. I think, I think fasting is it. You know, sometimes I don't have breakfast, but I wouldn't say I was fasting. I would have said. I just didn't have breakfast because fast, fasting would suggest they was planned. Yeah, so you'd if you're fasted, you say you'd take eighteen hours out, yeah, then six hours on. Yeah, so it's oh yeah. Um, so it's not really been something that I, I would do because I'm also aware of the fact that the, the thing with the body is as well is unless unless you're burning the calories you have then if your body gets into a routine of being deprived food, it does have a tendency as well to retain fat. So to to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm not active enough, I would have said to even bother fasting. And because of the work I do, I couldn't do it because I'd probably kill someone. And that wouldn't work. That wouldn't go down well. Um, yeah, it's definitely important to take some time out of work when you're doing it. I've always done it on a week off. I don't. I don't think I could ever get away with putting that request in. Need a week off. So my brother-in-law recommends a fast. He says it's a good time. <laughs> you know how to enjoy your holidays, don't you, Neil? <laughs> well, my life's a holiday at the moment, so I've just taken. I've just taken a. I've just taken a week out there. A week out of my life as I've as I've been injured. But I'm a big fan of it. I will do them again. I'll like to do maybe one once a year, and I mean there's a. I can't really go into them, all the benefits, but it's, as a lot of it is untested, a lot of it is unproven, but there's anecdotal evidence of people saying it boosts their metabolism, it controls their weight, control, and it's life-changing for some people. I mean, there have been studies done, and the majority of them, like, it's done properly and responsibly, 
there are benefits. things for such as things for I mean people have beaten cancer through fasting well, this is like a conspiracy corner uh, checking across the universe people, <laughs> people might have reversed type 2 diabetes <laughs> I don't think there's much <laughs> no there, it's, it's um, yeah it's, uh, there's this place true north uh, in America well there's a few f- places where they do it's like a doctor's retreat uh, and they do supervised fasting and people go in there with all sorts of conditions and as I say anecdotal evidence that they come out yeah, I don't cured. Think, I don't think in any way we can purport or support that claim. I mean, if I got cancer, my first thought would be fasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mine's would be binge eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah, I, my. Uh, someone said that. I said that to somebody yesterday. Somebody said, uh, I, don't, "I don't know why talks about health," and I said. My, my body is a temple unless there's sugar involved. <laughs> You've not got a chance. But also, it's a large part of religion as well. I think almost yep. every religion has some element of fasting. I've always yeah. fancied doing a fast for Lent, actually. A 40-day fast? Well, you get the Sundays off. It depends, oh, right. it depends, uh, depends which church you're in. Catholics I get Sundays see. off. Eastern Orthodox. Catholics get, sun- Catholics get Sundays off. Protestants don't. It's, it's, a, full, it's a full whack. I don't understand yeah. the fast from water, but that's where I draw the line. It's not. A, it's not a true fast, though. It's a fast. It's a like a daily fast. Yeah, as well. It's not a long term fast. Uh, it depends. It depends because in in, yeah. in in Judaism, yeah. there's there's two festivals where it is a a total fast for twenty five hours. So it's nothing. Nothing enters because it allows you to to focus your body and to. Right. Um, but but Lent thought. Well, Lent, yeah, but, yeah, but Lent's, Lent was an excuse to put people down in the first place. So crack on. You can reenact Jesus in the cave. <laughs> Help! Get me out! I'm stuck <laughs> in the cave. Lent, Lent was Jesus oh, in the desert. Jesus in the cave. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Then, well, it was, yeah, they kind of mixed it together. Yeah, they, they coinc- coincidentally one ran up to the other. I, I don't know how they did that. Yeah. At totally different times of his life as well. well. I'm afraid Easter is probably one time of year that I will not be fasting. Yeah. They run up to Easter, though. Yeah, Easter oh, a big deal, huge. isn't it? Down People get cards for each other, presents. It's a, it's, a, it's like Christmas. Like you get the eggs thing. Everything shuts down as well. Towns are like deserts. It's just completely. Everything's deserted. Everything's closed on Easter Sunday. I couldn't believe it when I was. Do you get people rolling eggs and stuff? I mean, you probably will here because there's lots of hills. But I mean, I've always been in cities. Yeah, I'll probably see a few egg egg rolls down the street here. I mean, where, where are you going to roll eggs? I don't know. What a hill! I mean, how steep does you a hill? Loads of hills. Let's do it down the street. How, how steep does a hill have to be for an egg to roll down it? We used to do it around hills. Yeah, but we lived on a, we lived next to a mountain range. Exactly, <laughs> a mountain range. We used to roll them near cliff faces. I mean, just whatever you are, you've got access to a, a grassy hill in Scotland. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm yeah. two hundred and fifty meters up, and I don't think I could find a, a hill substantial enough to roll an egg down. Yes, you could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're di- diverging from <laughs> from fasting. <laughs> Indeed. So yeah, I, I I recommend reading up on it, Dan. Since if you don't know much about it, there's a lot of there's a lot of documentaries on Prime and Netflix on it now. It's becoming increasingly popular. Oh, of course there is. Increasingly popular, especially with Michael Mosley's five two diet. I think he's got another one out as well, doesn't he? 
Yeah, fast eight hundred. Sorry, yeah, that's I got. Sorry, I got the calories mixed up there actually. So it's five it's five hundred for women, six hundred for men on this five two, and this other one's the fast eight hundred, which is his new one, which is it was a how to lose a stone in three weeks was the show on Channel Four, I think it was, and he put these people on a sort of hybrid Mediterranean low calorie diet of eight hundred calories a day in order to measure. It was only like five or six people. It wasn't a scientific study; it was just a TV show thing. But he claims that this helps with this in particular obesity and those that are like suffer from pre-diabetic condition metabolic syndrome or something and the like early onset type 2 diabetes as well yeah i would like to i'd like to do a, a long fast i'd like to do a 10 day one the most i've done is six or seven days i'd like to do a 10 day but i need to be more regimented about it because i was kind of foolish with this one i'd I mean, the night before the fast, I was eating pizza and fried chicken and drinking wine. It's not the best way to start. You should be gearing up. Ge- up. Gearing up. Yeah, I would, I would, I would not want to start with a hangover. <laughs> I don't get a hangover, so it's fine. But I, I would... Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I wasn't the best way to start a fast. But I guess that was going to do it properly. And uh, the weight loss, I lost 10 pounds. I was slightly over what I should have been, so I got back to my normal weight, and I've not weighed myself since, but I'd assume every single pound's back on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you must have lost, you must have lost a couple of pounds. Yeah, we probably lost two pounds in fat. Yeah. And, yeah, I've probably comfortably put that back on in the last two weeks, week and a half. But anyway, that's expected. It was more of a, it was more of a reset for myself as well. As I'm taking time off the gym, but yeah, fasting. Great. Do not. Uh, this is not medical advice. This should be tried. This should be done under medical supervision only. And so you received medical supervision, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I supervised myself. Did Netflix and Prime count, do they not? I've got my Garmin watch, so I knew my heart was still beating. <laughs> well, that's the main thing. <laughs> there you are, folks. Uh, that's all you need to know. Seven years of medical school, and all you need to know is that your heart's still beating to know it's okay. <laughs> um, anything else you would like to add, or are we happy with that? No, I'm happy with uh, I'm happy with that fasting. Well, good. So, thank you for that, Neil, for enlightening us about the way that you deprive yourself of food, but you manage to binge beforehand. So that balances everything out nicely. And after, I must add, I went a binge straight after as well. <laughs> I, I broke. I did break my fast with avocado and toast and eggs, but yeah, I went straight back to my old ways. Four days is you can't you you can go back to it, no problem after four days. It's when you do a long term fast you have to five days plus you have to really think about how you're breaking your fast. Thanks for that, Neil. We'll now move on to our board game section, and I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a go at a board game section for once. And the board game, as I said, is going to be an old-ish board game. And the game is Go For Broke. Came out in 1965. And it was designed by N.A. So we don't actually know who designed it. However, the original artist was Rob Sheffield. And the game has been published by a great number of different respectable board game companies, including Hasbro. And the premise of the game is very simple. 
it is the opposite of monopoly. Instead of collecting properties and gathering up all your money, you are supposed to get rid of all of your money, and the first person to lose all of their money wins. Now, players can risk money at the racetrack, the casino, play the stock market, or make donations to charity. And very similar to Monopoly, there are opportunities to lose your money, opportunities to gain, gain your money, and the last thing you want to do is to make any further money. Now, I was introduced to this game a few years ago when we were walking in town and went past a charity shop window and Gillian got extremely excited because she saw it in the charity shop window and it was only like three pounds or something. Never heard of it before in my life. She said, get this, we need to buy this. So we bought it and, I, and we played it and it's a very enjoyable game. Like I say, it's the opposite of most games where lose, losing is the losing is the aim of the game, and the, the plenty of opportunities to do so, as I've said, and it's uh, quite a fun game. I think it's quite a, a, an expressive and interactive game because you can get quite excited at the prospect of your horse losing or putting all your money on black and nothing coming and, it, and losing as well. So it's sort of it takes a bit of time. It took me a bit of time to get my head around it because you, I think, we're so used to the end of the game being to collect as much land as possible, collect as much money as possible, or to collect as much resources as possible. That to have to do the opposite, you have to sort of switch your brain a little bit to take that into account. So I'll I'll throw this out onto the floor and I'll go with Gregor first. What's uh, your experience of playing Go for Broke and what do you think? Well, we had this when we were younger, so I, I played it a, f- a few times, I'd say. Most recently, we played your copy a couple of years ago. It was me, I think you were playing, and Craig was playing as well. Yeah. I, I did have fond memories of this, but having played it again, I felt it really dragged. Oh. It got a bit boring quite quickly. It, it was an interesting concept when I was maybe seven years old, but the novel is worn off because it is, it is entirely luck based, I think, which is why it kind of got boring quite quickly. It would have been okay if it hadn't dragged out. You start with like a million dollars and you can only lose so much at a time and you are gaining money at various points throughout the game as well, which kind of resets you. So it's entirely dependent on it's just it's, you roll a dice and you move around the board and so you're landing on spaces that there are some aspects of the game that are okay like the snake eyes bit I quite like that because it's just a, a dice game except you're trying to lose your money that's quite interesting but I think the other things like the roulette and horse racing there's there's a basic strategy you follow and there's no sort of pushing your luck or anything like that Um, there's very little choice like you choose to either back the more likely horse to win and receive a lower payout, or put the less put money on the less likely horse, but receive a higher payout if they do win. So there are some aspects that are okay, but they're they're few and far between. Because the stock market thing is just a little roller; it's like rolling a dice again. You see the up or down. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's mostly just rolling the dice and reading what it says on the spot, and then either spending money or giving money away. Appropriately, so had it been shorter, I would have liked it a lot more. Uh, and I do have fond memories of playing this growing up, but yeah, I was not enamoured with my replay of it a couple of years ago. 
Okay, well, we'll save the scores and we'll stay the scores till at the doors at the end. So, Neil, what, what's your what's your memories of it? Are they fond? Are they frustrated? Uh, fond memories, yeah. I think the my only my only memories are probably playing with Gregor when I was about six or seven years old playing Go for Broke. And I just looked up online. I've actually just placed a bid on one that ends in four days. One pound. I found one on eBay to rekindle it. It, it seems like a game that uh, I would I would definitely play again because I, I, I do I do enjoy Monopoly. It's one of my favourite games to play. And yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't really know too much about it. I can't. It's been so long so long since I've played it. But I mean, just looking at the board, it seems quite familiar and. It's luck based. It's, it's just it's similar, very similar to Monopoly. I mean, it is billed as the anti-Monopoly, but it's nothing like Monopoly. It is similar is similar to Monopoly in the sense that in Monopoly you need to get all the money, and in this game you need to lose all your money. But that's where the similar and and you roll a dice, and then that tells you how many spaces to move. But that's where the similarities end. But it's luck based. It is luck based, but there's no negotiation in Go for Broke. It's, there is negotiation yeah. in Monopoly. Yeah, I'm so. Hopefully I'll win this this auction and we'll be able to play it once more. <laughs> well, we'll look. We'll, we'll, be careful what you wish for. Come back to this as well at that time, and we'll find out what you what you actually think. <laughs> looking back on it, yeah, um, yeah, fun memories. We all, we used to have fun playing it when we were children, and yeah, I'm afraid that's my that's my all fine. experience of it. I can't imagine it making making the cut for the board no. games night. No, no, it does play up to six. Oh. Possibilities. We jazz up the rules a bit, and you can pick up. I mean, you can pick it up for ten pounds, nineteen eighty-five oh, original edition, nineteen eighties. What was it? What, what was it made? Sorry, nineteen sixty-five. Sixty-five. Nineteen sixty-five. I mean, yeah. it did win the nineteen eighty-eight RX <laughs> Spill Best Family Game <laughs> Award. Nineteen eighty-eight. Didn't have a lot for that year. The best children's game that year from the same awards was Throw and Go Jenga. Which well, let's be honest, though, Gregor, this is the first time we've mentioned any awards. So so far, the games have always been underachieving. That doesn't mean there's not been any one. Uh, well, thanks for the the the, the well remembered in depth review there, Neil. It was uh, <laughs> happy memories of childhood. Clearly, well, we'll do the scores then, shall we? And I'll go with uh, 20. Is that a 20? A 10. 10. A 10, or oh, with the possibility of being out of 20 <laughs> using variable or half. Um, I'll give it... I'll give it 5. I'll give it 5 out of 10. Purely because I've come to it later in my life and I haven't had my happy memories of childhood dashed upon the rocks by playing it as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> so I come out with uh, with with the doe-eyed innocence of youth. Uh, so yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it. I'll give it five out of ten. Gregor, three. Oh, better monopoly. I'll cut us down the middle. I'll cut us down the middle with four. Oh, it's definitely not a game that you could play with any sort of seriousness. But absolutely not. I'm sure it's given a lot of people fun and joy throughout their life. I'm sure it has. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I reflect upon it with I reflect on it with happy memories, but now when I come to it again, yep. they're not so happy anymore. Well, it's a shame for it. So, well, thanks, guys. That was a nice, that was a nice, quick one. So next time we'll 
come back to the a modern board game. Therefore, it is going to be extremely complicated and convoluted. And I imagine, therefore, we'll pass it back to Gregor to, to give us a rundown for that one. Since he... I mean, we can all read off the internet. Well, I struggle apparently, yeah. so... <laughs> it's just a design, designer name. You're trying to well, here's the challenge then. The next game you pick has to have a have an NA next to designer's name and then we're on to a winner. The, the sign of a good game. One which no designer is willing to put their name against. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're so ashamed that they're just they're, they're now in hiding. <laughs> yeah. So, thanks for that. And we'll move on to... Dum, da, da, dum. We'll move on to the exciting moment, guys. We are introducing. So yeah, so this is a new segment in which Neil and I will alternatively, maybe not every episode, but I'm thinking maybe the same week that we've got a top ten, we will start writing letters to people that we feel are worthy of having letters written to them. So I, this is something that I've had in my mind for a while now. It started when, for my wedding, I got a wax seal. And I thought, well, this is quite fancy. And I've got a lot of wax here. And only so many wedding invites. So I've got a lot left over wax. So I, I really need to use this up. And so I thought the best way to use this up is to seal envelopes after a friend to people uh, whose work I admire. So that's, where this, that's what this is born out of. So I started, to, I started putting together a list of people that I wanted to write letters to. And so, yeah, so I thought I'd incorporate into this podcast to share with you two and you all, all you listeners, wherever you may be. So I think the point of this is maybe is to not necessarily that we're talking about people with Marley, Tiger Woods. I was going for more. I'm sure Tiger Woods gets plenty of fan mail. My list comprises of people that you might not necessarily expect to get too much fan mail. Not in a bad way, just and not the most famous people in the world, but whose work that I have enjoyed. But anyway, without further ado, Dean Newcomb is my first choice to write a letter to. So yeah, I've start, started on the letter. I've sent it across. <laughs> Usually I'll have a bit more information on them, and then we'll discuss. The, sort of, I mean, the, it'll just be going through his sort of achievements and uh, seeing how I come, come across them and so on. And we'll get that, I'll get that sent. I suppose I was a bit conflicted about this because I wanted to, I was wanting to do this anyway, so I want this to come across as I'm sending the letter, which it is, and not just for the purpose of the podcast and explain it. So, so but if we do get any reply, I, so I, I don't, I probably won't mention it explicitly, um, but we'll probably let you know if we get any replies or anything like that. We'll post it on the tw- on our pit on our Twitter page. Well, I, yeah, but I, I won't mention it though. That's for the podcast. Right. Yeah, thank you, Gregor. Uh, I look forward to looking into him a bit more. You know, we've, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point on the episode in the future, but we have many happy memories of, of late-night board gaming, which seems to end up watching uh, Japanese programming on the television. So we'll have a wee break now, and we'll be back with my topic, uh, where I'll be talking about Rob Riggle, Global Investigator. And we're back, and like I said before the break, I'm going to be talking about Rob Riggle, Global Investigator. 
So I tasked you guys to watch an episode of Mr. Wriggle in action. And Don't have time. See, see, see. But I'm not going to get angry about that, Gregor. I accept you. I, ex- yeah. I accept the fact that you're working from home. <laughs> um, and you could be watching it while you're out for your daily walks as well, isn't it, though? But uh, so Gregor hasn't watched it, and Neil watched. What do you? Say? No, I have watched it. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. Watched it. I've Neil, watched it. Neil watched twenty minutes of it. Yep. Well, that's that's, that's all right. It's twenty minutes more than I thought, so that's fine. Um, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. I stayed that long, to be honest. So, <laughs> well, for, for what I'm about, to, I mean, what yeah. I'm about to say, Neil, it might come up with a shock. Juice, what I'm going to say. So, I'll, I'll get to that. But I thought I'd start with an introduction because I'd never heard this guy, and I saw this program, his program, Global Investigator, advertised on the Discovery Channel, and I thought, well, that looks like a bit of entertainment. Yeah. So, Robert Allen Riggle was born April twenty first, nineteen seventy. And in his first, the first major events of his life appeared to be in 1990 when he joined the American Marines. And he was in the Marines for 23 years. Much of that time he spent in the Marine Reserves. And he was deployed to places such as Liberia, Kosovo, Albania, and Afghanistan. He reached the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. And he received 14 medals, including two meritorious service medals so he's got he's got a bit of um got a bit of military pre- pe- bit of military pedigree behind him now he retired from that as i say 23 years later so in 2013 however before then as far back as 1998 he started making himself known on television and film so he started off on the Conan O'Brien show back in 1998 and it was his start in his comedy career that led him to go from the marine training to the reserves which allowed him to actually do do other activities rather than be committed to the military all the time and he's as I say, he's appeared on the Conan O'Brien show he did that for several years as a as a comedian with various roles he was part of the Saturday Night Live team. He appeared for several years on The Daily Show as a roving military reporter in the Middle East following the uh, American deployment over there. And he has recently done a lot of voice acting, so he's appeared on things such as American Dad and other voice acting roles. His films, career started in 2003, and he's appeared in films such as Step Brothers, The Hangover, 21 Jump Street. And between 2012 to 2020, he was a reg- appeared regularly on the Fox NFL Sundays program. So he's actually got Good channel. He's, yeah, so he's actually done a lot. He's, he's done a lot for somebody I'd never even heard of. So as I said, uh, so going back to the, the program, Global Investigator, he is going around the world. Uh, over six episodes investigating mysteries so this fits right into conspiracy corner kind of stuff which is one of the reasons why i wanted to watch it yeah there's six episodes in the first season which is just finished airing here in the uk or aired earlier on in the year in the spring in the united states three episodes were based in the us two episodes were based in scotland and one episode was in greece 
And the areas he covers are, for the US, he looks into the pirate treasure of Black Caesar down in Florida. He looks into the missing treasure following the OK Corral shootout. And he goes to Nevada in search of aliens. In Scotland, he goes on the trail of the Holy Grail and searches for the Romans' lost Ninth Legion. And then he goes a little bit further afield to Greece in the hunt for the ever-elusive Atlantis. Now, going into it and fully aware of the kind of programs that you often get when there are people searching for mysteries such as this, uh, I thought it would be one of these sort of ancient aliens finding Bigfoot, Alaskan Triangle, very, very serious kind of thing. He does talk to experts, and he uses scientific or pseudoscientific equipment to solve these mysteries. However, the entire program is one big tongue-in-cheek parody of all those programs I listed. He is totally just taking the mick the entire time. He doesn't take it seriously. Unfortunately, a lot of the people who are doing it don't appear to realise he's not taking it seriously. It's almost as if it was like Borat meets ancient aliens. He is totally just leading them on up the garden path. And at the end of every ep- episode, he proudly proclaims that he solved the Well, he mystery. solved the two that I watched. And <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. He's, and he, he, solved, he, he solved Atlantis. He's, he's figured out the alien problem. He found the Ninth Legion. Um, he, he's pretty sure he's close to the treasure from the OK Corral. Uh, he was... And... It genuinely is a parody of... That's my interpretation of it. It's a real parody. So I'll start with... I'll start with Neil, because you have less to say about this, because you watch less of it. So, <laughs> Neil... Well, I wish you actually... I wish... I will look at it... I will watch it again and look at it from a different set of eyes, because I came through... I came at it assuming he was being serious. I assume it obviously is like quite of a... Outgoing How character. did you come to that conclusion? Let's say, to uh, say you, the least. You'd be thinking uh, Donald Trump serious as well. Uh, <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> no, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I guess I when when uh, one of his first guests on the first episode claimed that the Caesar salad was made by Julius Caesar. I, no, he I, he he claimed. Oh no, sorry. He thought it was Black Caesar. That's yeah, right. he, said, well, he, he made it. He made a joke. as Black Caesar. That's the Caesar salad. And the guy says, "No, I think that was Julius Caesar." Which is, yeah. I just uh, was yeah. actually, it was actually born out of Mexico in the 1900s. But that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I kind of my interest. Kind of died at that point. <laughs> this, is, this is clearly fake news. That's just going to be. That's yeah. usually right up your street as well. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I I will watch it through a different set of eyes again because I want to watch the Scottish one because I don't know I don't know anything about the Holy Grail. So I want to look at it from a. I was looking at it from an inter- information point of view instead of a comedy point of view. <laughs> It is. Right. It, it's a mi- it's a mixture of the two. I would have said because they just he does get people who take it very very seriously on, and he's there, you know, really just uh, it's it's the looks to the camera where you know he's totally just leading them on with is what he's trying to do, and I would have said I would have said especially 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 the one about the close encounters in Nevada, and the Atlantis one. 
the experts that he has on there, or the well, the so-called experts, like the, the Nevada one, he's got former CIA operatives on it, who are sort of like, <laughs> and he's going, were you followed? He was, he's like, no, it's like, and he says, was I followed? He's like, you probably were. And, you know, he's, he's really trying to just sort of stir the pot all the time, I would have said, just to get a response, whether they be yeah. experts or not. That's, yeah, if you go back to Anil... Can you suggest a good, like one of the best episodes? He said the Holy Grail was one, one wasn't that great. Um, I like the, the Holy Grail. The one. Holy Grail one is. It's funny because it's all in Scotland, so it's sort of. But there are serious people in all the episodes. A Holy Grail, I quite like the the Close Encounters one was quite funny because you get the proper paranoid alien hunters. Um, so that that's that's quite amusing when people take themselves too seriously. I think they were interesting. They were all interesting, but. You know, the Black Caesar one was the first one I saw. That was the first episode that we had, and I thought that was that was that just that had me hooked because it just. But yeah, go with with Holy Grail and the Close Encounters, and see from there. Yeah, Holy Grail episode two. There we I go. I should have skipped to that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what about you, Gregor? What did you think? Yeah, I watched the first two episodes, and I'd like to touch on a point you made there. Actually, you've never seen. Presumably by your comments here, you've never seen Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Uh, not since I was about 10. Well, get that back in your life for a start. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. That scout camp, watch, I think. Watch watch all all of the Indiana Joneses, all two of them, and report back. I mean, I've, I've seen clips of them, of them, but I've never, I've never actually watched it fully. I've just seen clips. There's two that talk about Dan. Oh. Well, there's there's one we don't. Yeah, well, that's a whole different discussion. That that's complicated. Yeah, we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, Rob Riggle. Yeah, I went into this not really knowing what to expect, but I'm with Neil in that. At well, both of you in that there was an adjustment period whilst watching the first episode. Yeah, it was the point. I hope I'm not spoiling this for anyone listening, or Neil actually. But it was the point <laughs> when he was in the the hanging tree bar or whatever it was called. When he's talking oh, about Black yeah, Caesar, yeah, and he, 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 the guy hits him with, "There were two Black Caesars," and I thought, uh, "Yeah, brilliant." And then yeah. it, it kind of clicked that not that I thought it was a serious show before that. Had you had you asked me to guess what he did before and previous in life, I, it would have been a, a long afternoon before <laughs> I came up with Marines. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, that, that was, I said, when I when I introduced him to to, to Jillian, I said, there's a program I want to watch. And for the, love, for the life of me, I couldn't remember his name, so I kept calling him Bo Diddley. And then eventually I was like, oh, it's Rob Riggle. And she was like, no, it's nobody's called Rob Riggle. <laughs> I'm like, no, he's Rob, he's, he's Robert, he's Robert Allen Riggle. <laughs> he's genuinely, that's what his name. It's definitely a name for TV. Um, so. But... I, I really enjoyed it. I would say I disagree with you, Dan, in terms of the experts, because the two episodes I watched, I, when, like I said, that it clicked, I thought everyone was in on the joke, or it, at the very least, the vast majority of people were in on the joke, whether that was yeah. explicit in the setup or just by the fact he is who he is. I think there are some. I think it depends who you are. Like, like when he's when he's in the UK doing stuff. Yeah, we can We yeah. we get the humour. We know what he's up to. 
but there are definitely like there are some episodes where there are people who are going like yeah at him, like, probably the episodes are laughing because <laughs> everyone was pretty yeah everyone was in in that kind of chilled out sort of mood in the Florida one he was speaking to as well and yeah. the yeah it, it, the Holy Grail one there was no doubt in my mind everyone knew <laughs> what was going yeah. on yeah yeah and there are and I think as well he he, he like. Right, let's get to let's get to what I really want to say. He reminds me so much of Neil when he's talking <laughs> that it just it's so funny because he says stuff. He just makes this statement that he somehow connected these things together, and the person just like looks at him like, "How have yeah. you come to that conclusion?" <laughs> and he's he's so lively and he's so energetic and he's yeah. always he's always you know he's chatting away to them all even though they're like, "Shh, shh you know, stop stop talking," kind of thing. Like, yeah. No, no, he's still going. He's still going. Yeah, I got that kind of. After having spoken about Man v Food, I'd compare him to sort of that, like in completely different context, that sort of Casey Webb, Adam Richmond energy. Yeah. Like in terms of what he's presenting. Yeah. Uh, it's something completely different, but it's that sort of uh, almost kind of cheesiness as well in terms of how he's presenting. Yeah. But towards the end of the first episode, I did. And this isn't necessarily criticism of the show, but more the production and these types of productions generally. I found it did tend to drag because in America they've got a lot more breaks, yeah, and so they're always hyping up what's coming next. Yeah. And it's a forty-five minute show, and it could be like it's only twenty-five minutes of content, and the rest is like next after the break, yeah, yeah, see yeah. what happens, or you pra- before the break this happened kind of thing. Absolutely, and so just the way it's cut for British TV, it doesn't. I don't feel it flows quite as well, but to be honest, I've, I still went back and watched the second episode and probably enjoyed that more than the first episode. I don't know if it was just because you had that expectation of the outset. Yeah. I think I think with the second... Sorry, it was the thing with the second one, you, you know what to expect as well. You don't know what they're going to talk about, yeah. but you know what he's going to do. <laughs> I felt like it flowed a lot better as well. It, it wasn't so... Like, there's a lot of hanging about in the first one. Yeah. And there's a lot of, will we find this, will we find that? And by the second one, you're thinking, well, this is this is obvious. In the first one, you know, it wasn't good and go anywhere either. But in the second one, it kind of, when they were in the tunnel, it kind of did drag a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that was that, that, a bit more than criticism. It's a bit long. I think you know as well that he's he's not going to find anything. Like, he's generally not going to find anything. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry to spoil it, Neil. I'm sorry to spoil it to the listeners who maybe want to watch it. But, if you know, if you think about what he's actually talking about, you know, hundreds of people have spent thousands of man-hours trying to solve these things. And, you know, it's not going to be in yeah. a 45-minute program. This this comedian's going to turn up and go, but he still thinks he's found something. It's presented really well, actually, and because it shows you, I mean, his kind of full journey. Yeah, in terms of uncovering this knowledge that has been known for yeah <laughs> for years and years in some cases, and so it's it's interesting in that sense. It's a, it's as if it's you know he behaves as if nobody has ever done this before. Yeah, exactly. Which it's, I really yeah, it's like. like he's uncovering it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I hope he I hope he does a second season because you know I found I found the OK Corral and the Black Season were quite interesting because I knew nothing about that. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting for the. Yeah, you know, I'd never even heard of Black Season before. I'd heard of the rest of yeah. the stuff, but never that. So I'm hoping they'll cut. He'll do another season and maybe like, because he, he can come back here. He could do Nessie. He could go look for Bigfoot or something. You know, he go maybe go try and find uh, Les Chupacabras or something like that. And just because you know, it's just going to be a wild goose chase. 
but it's just yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be funny him thinking he's like he's found Bigfoot or there's a there's a there's a there's a stick in Loch Ness and oh I found Nessie, I found Nessie. Mm-hmm. He's sold, I'm off. Um and yeah, there's lot lots of love. Like I like when he introduces the people. There's the wee captions about who they are. Yeah. And just just the last one is always brilliant. <laughs> So, so you're gonna you're gonna continue to watch it, Gregor, or you're gonna just leave it there? I'll probably, I'll probably pick it up. I've got them in the planner, so probably it won't be a regular thing, but I'll probably yeah. watch it at some point. Um, like I say, not only criticism. If it was half an hour or even like twenty minutes, mm-hmm. I think it'd be it'd be great. Kind of like as I was saying, Man View Food is because Adam Richmond and Casey Weber really good because they do compact it into such a small time scale as well I think. Yeah. I, I don't think they could string out an episode for 45 minutes. I think though as well is because of the, the nature of the parody that actually if you were to say that is also part of the parody as well because you get that on these programs where it's just like <laughs> yeah. when we're back we'll find out what broke the stick and it's like yeah. okay kind of thing you know like they would in all these other kind of documentaries so you know I think of it as, as as part of the parody even though it is like you say the way they do programming in the US yeah so yeah so what about you Neil are you going to give it a chance I definitely will yeah it seems like something I'll watch on Sunday <laughs> yeah watch uh, watch the Holy Grail one just skipped episode 2 and it will fit nicely with my watching of Borat 2 as well on Sunday, so it'll be a, a nice, fun-filled afternoon I'm for me. I'm watching that tomorrow as well. <laughs> I've heard uh, mixed reviews. I've heard better than expected, pretty decent. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that as well. I've heard people say he's, he's, he's very good in it. So, well, thank you guys for that. And we'll, we'll move on now to our... Folks, it's not a top ten this week. It's not this episode is not a top ten. It's going to be a top five. Four. We're, we're being top a four. top four. Wheat from the chaff. That's the way we're going to look at it. <laughs> we're filtering this down for quality, not quantity. I'm hoping this will stimulate some discussion at least. So Greg is going to bring us his top four. And he's going to talk about one, and then we're all going to start replying with our top three. Neil, do you have a top three? I've got a top three, yes. So do I. And I've got two honourable mentions as well, so... So Dan's actually got more than me this week. (laughs) Actually, I I could probably give you a top five. Uh, Well, no, I wouldn't. Honourable mentions have just been cheeky. But, uh, so, Gregor, take it away. Yep, I'm quite looking forward to yours on this actually because uh, the instruction was top 10 phrases you don't like and I don't know about you but I found this quite difficult to make because uh, by its very nature it, it, there are going to be phrases that you hear often and they're phrases that your, your friends and family tend to say more often than not so I mean nobody listens to this so it's not going to offend anyone but <laughs> if it does <laughs> it might listen if it's only a top 4 <laughs> We're sorry, yeah, maybe. But let's kick this off um, whilst I mentally rearrange these in my head. So the first one, looked this up before the show, is do me a solid. Oofed. <laughs> Don't know if you have heard of this. Yeah, heard this. Uh, I've said. heard of it. Yeah, it's do do me a favor. Will you, will you do something for me? Yeah. First of all, thoughts on this? I hate it. 
Uh, I don't ever come across it in daily life. Yeah, I've heard a few people say it directly to me, and I hear it on TV and stuff as well. I've never, I've, n- I've never come across it in real life, but I've definitely heard of it. Sorry, I would say it just. It, I dislike it very much because a it, it's just being lazy because saying favor and solid it's the same number of syllables, so it's not as if you're trying to impress anybody with it, and it also sounds as though you're talking about a state of matter. So I start yep. thinking about that. Yeah, I don't, there's no need for it. Do me a favor. Yeah. Do me, why do you need to say solid? Why can't you just say favor? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've looked up the etymology of it, and it's apparently derived from uh, drug slang. I mean, I won't go into the details here, Great. but solid refers to some sort of drug, and that's somehow morphed into do me a favor. Popular. It, it's said to be popularized by Seinfeld. Okay. The show yeah. was used was in an episode. Right. Uh, but it, it's kind of it's kind of crept in to like I've heard it. It, it went through. A, I, th- I think it's been going on for a few decades now. But it went through a kind of renaissance. I felt a few years ago, maybe five or five ten years ago, and it's kind of hung around since then. But the less I hear it, the to us, the happier I am. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting one. So number four. Thank you very much. So right, uh, let's get a top three. Take <laughs> straight into who wants to kick off top three? Go on, Neil. I mean, I'll take it over. Um, that that should be one actually. Um, my third. That found is very hard to do, but and now that we've been talking, I've. Not, no one said any of these, but it's something. The <laughs> number <said> one. <laughs> well, no, but it just crept into my mind. It, it took me a while to actually think of ones, but then right. mines are all probably said from the same region of the UK quite commonly. Uh, the first one, I'm guilty of it. I think everybody's probably guilty of it, but it's very overused by some people. The word literally. Okay. I don't like it. It's usually. It's all word you hear girls say literally literally everything everything's literally they stick it before it I think it's just a young thing these days yeah. oh no I'm thinking of actual actual or actually I think that's quite a young thing sorry yeah it says that's literally amazing and things like that it's probably a more a girly thing to say but I'm, I'm guilty of saying it myself but yeah not a fan it's overused it has, it has its place but it's well overused when you, add, when you use it as an adjective for everything yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I try yeah. to keep. I try to keep those kind of word like sort of crutch words out of it. Like literally, obviously, like is one. I tend to use these on occasion, and they don't really irritate me, to be honest. Unless they're massively overused. Well, that's that's the one. That's the, I, I use literally quite a lot, but mm-hmm. it's to the point where it's getting added to almost every sentence. Yeah, Indeed. where you hear in conversation. Well, my. My my number my number three is no offense. If any <laughs> right, listen. I, I think the listeners you be warned because this is a kind of list that's going to get me ranting. So brace yourselves. No offense. If you are going to prefix a sentence, a statement with no offense, you are fully aware that either a your audience is going to be offended, or b you are intending to offend, but you are hiding it behind the fact that you're going to be just nasty. I'm so sick and tired of people going, no offence, but, 
well, don't say no offence, just share your opinion. And if you feel that you're in a company that you can't share that opinion, don't share the opinion in the first place. It's as simple as that. I'm so sick and tired of people hiding behind two little words and thinking that by using those words, they can somehow get away with being offensive, insulting, crude, crass, or any other word you can possibly think of in, in the lexicon when it comes to how people are made to feel by ridiculously outlandish statements or just opinions that perhaps should be kept to yourself. I don't mind that one as much because I feel like it, it's used to soften up a criticism. Well, don't soften it. If it's a criticism, it's a criticism. Just say it. <laughs> just man up and say it. I think the, the idea irritates me more than the actual phrase. If you know yeah. what I mean. Like hearing it doesn't annoy me. But the the, the idea behind it doesn't the annoy me. The principle of it. Not that much. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's my, that's my number three. Uh, I've actually just thought of another one there, so this, this would have been my five, if we could skip back. Anything nope. with the suffix gate <laughs> to describe some sort of controversy. Named after, of course, the infamous Watergate scandal, we we'll call yeah. that, Richard Nixon, and uh, the recordings of a uh, clandestine meeting. That's him. But I don't, I don't even know how, how or why this started, but to add, the Watergate was the name of the hotel, but to, to have gate added yeah. to the end of anything to make it, it to, to, to apply it's a scandal is just lazy and remarkable irritating. Yeah, so that's five. And my number three then is mate thoughts. Yeah, I agree with that one. Overused. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't know where this came from. I use, I prefer to use man. Hey man. Something like that. A bit softer. You'd but, hate Australia then. All right, mate. Uh, that's, yeah, I know, but that's, that's more South Africa. That was more South African, but yeah, they use it. They, they overuse it there as well. Yeah, yeah, but that's long been part of the stereotypical lexicon of Australia. That's culture. That's cultural South Africa and Australia. Yeah, whereas this this has developed through my lifetime, yeah. and there are some people they can't go text without saying mate. Less so now, to be honest, but in in the past, and so yeah, again, it's just the the lack of thought for an actual green or anything like that. That's more of an England thing. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's, it's it's okay in person. I, again, these are all fine because that's, this is how language develops. It's when it's overused, it really irritates me, and when it's coming out a lot in speech or in written communication, that's when it starts to annoy me. I'm guilty of using it. I, I use it, but it's sort of, you know, it's more of a um, ambiguous response to somebody. And it's, but I only ever use it for men. Like I'd never say to a woman, cheers, mate. You know, I yeah. think, I think it's a, for me, it's something I only use for, for, for guys. I think for women, I don't really have anything. You know, I just say thank you. Yeah, if you use like hey mate as a, as a greeting for somebody you've not spoken to in a while, it's completely um, defensible, I think. But it's, it's again coming down to the overuse. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, cool. Neil, number, <gasps> number two. Um, this one is Lush. Lush. Probably made famous as a Southern England, Essex, London. Although. Tom Kerridge uses a lot from Somerset. 
but lush. Cannot stand it. I know, but I associate it with the Welsh. Really? Yeah, because they always say, on Gavin and Stacey, they say it all the time. I think it got made popular from The Only Way is Essex. That's where I first heard it, and that's where it kind of took off, in my opinion. But, yeah, I, I hate the I hate the phrase lush. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything to me. It obviously has its meaning, but, I mean, it just reminds me of soap. Yeah. Shop. Yeah. I'm familiar with slush. That's a an adjective, isn't it? Yeah. But is lush like is it is it short for anything? Like is it just what what does lush mean? Cool. I don't know. So it's lush. Good. It's it's good or Great. or nice. Yeah. Or it's lush. You know that was lush. So yeah, good. I suppose is probably yeah, the not, nearest not thing. Cool. My number two is Neil's number three. Literally. <laughs> right. Here comes here comes the second salvo. <laughs> if you are unable to define the difference between something that is literal and something that is figurative, then you shouldn't be out of primary school yet. Allowed into society. I am sick to the back teeth hearing people say <laughs> that literally just happened. Right. Yes, it is. It didn't figuratively happen. It did literally just happen. But you could say it just happened. Establishing the fact that it was real sort of suggests to me that you already have a loose grip on reality and you can't tell when things are really happening. It is a ridiculous concept to feel the need to insert literally at the beginning of a statement when you are stating the obvious. If, and it drives, I, I will actually say to people, I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are. I, someone says to me, I, I'm literally so happy right now. Like, how could you figuratively be? I say, instead of figuratively. And then they look at you as if as if you just crawled out of a hole. Because either they don't understand what figurative means, maybe, or they just think, well, why, why, do you, why are you saying that? It's like, because you're using what? You just say, I'm so happy. That's great. Was he literally so happy? If you're literally so happy, what? I think it's popular, popularized by millennial girls initially. I uh, you put, put a lot of blame on the females for this, Neil. And I think yeah, that's, I think that's completely true. unfounded. <laughs> These are words. This problem is the ones I hear are the ones I've heard in the London Underground, where girls are saying it all the time, and it's really gets under my skin. I, I, I feel that sounds like a decent scientific study you've done yeah. there. Then I, I'd also, I'd also been in the underground a lot. I'd refer back to Neil uh, to the greatest comment about that Neil keeps blaming people. Well, it's people well, that speak. Neil's. We don't have much of an option but to blame people. It's not as if we uh, make up the languages we go like just randomly. I fancy doing that today, but no, it's just how can you? It's just so irritating. It's just like annoying me because I don't mind it. Oh, it it grates me so deep. I think I think it's it's because because I know the person isn't, and I'm going to contradict myself in a minute here. But I know the person is just using it as a point of emphasis, and when it's used occasionally, again, I don't mind it. It's when it's overused. Oh, That's true of any of these sort of crutch words. But I know the person knows the difference between literally and figuratively. They're just simply using it as a point of emphasis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always feel. Yeah, that's fair. It cuts me deep. So yeah, no, I do, I do get your pain. Yeah. So, so Gregor, yep. number one. Really know. 
Oh, I was still on two. I was still on two. Oh, so you're you are. Oh, sorry. Num- num- numero due. 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 Numero two. Common sense. Yeah. What? Common sense. Common sense. Like, use your common sense. Maybe Maybe it's because it's been... I've heard it so often through my life. Yeah. <laughs> and that I don't have any common sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know all the I've time. Always, common sense... What, what, I've never... I've not got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've always thought... Or I've come to think that it's just... Common sense is just a thing for people to fall back on when they can't bother thinking for themselves. Conventional wisdom. It's so vague and so person specific. I mean, it doesn't mean anything at all. And the fact that I've been told a lack of common sense is just. You do. Yeah, again, what does this, what does this even mean, though? It is, it is meaningless. Yeah, it is. It has no definition. Common sense. It's just like I say. What? What? One single. The person. This, the person is the, what the person saying common sense thinks is common sense, which yeah. is completely different to someone else thinking what common sense is. Like I say, it's I just, disagree with that. How? Because, like, say for example, uh, I'll use I'll use an example. This morning, someone in my house left the keys in the door and went inside. That's. Common sense would be to take the keys out the door after you open it. Yeah, I t- that I isn't common that. sense. That's something you're told. Yeah, but that's not common sense. Is generally common. Yeah, something something knowledge. that's inherent within you. Yes, yeah. that you somehow exhibit the ability to follow the crowd when faced with a decision. Uh, that you're not comfortable <laughs> making. Basically, yeah, is how, yeah. I, how I would define it. it yeah, so would I. Yeah, I'd agree. So if if you lack common sense, you've done something different to what everyone might have expected to have done in that same situation. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. I mean it's wrong. It means you've maybe thought about it and come up with a different conclusion. Yeah. So I would just use it as a kind of being care, taking care in your actions as common sense. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with that so most people mean it, but I think that a lot of people think taking care means do what everybody else does rather than make a calculated decision on what you want to do in a certain situation. And if that is necessarily riskier than what other people might do, and I think that's where I fall down into this, because I I probably exhibit more risk-seeking behaviours than is necessarily true of the general population. And so if I make a decision that puts more risk in the prospect of me losing something, then it defies common sense. I mean, I've got a a smashing example, excuse the pun, but when I dropped that wine all over the floor, I dropped six bottles of wine over the floor yesterday. <laughs> I mean, to use my common sense, I would have taken the wine bottles out of the wine rack. Yeah. To, that, that didn't cross my mind. That, that's, a great, that, that's a great example, though, because there were, two, there were two courses of action there. One was to take the wine bottles out of the wine rack. And yeah. So you would have thought whether you sat there and thought about it or you made a split decision, split second decision. Yeah. You thought, you, you were aware of what could happen when you pursued your course of action, weren't you? You thought the risk yes. of this failing is low, though. However, not so low that it's, it's impossible that it will happen. Yeah. Yes. But, you, but you effectively said in that moment, 
I am willing to accept this risk to do it in this particular way, rather to save time or to be more efficient in the process or whatever. And that's what I mean. Common sense. The people would use say look at that and say he lacks he lacks common sense. Whereas yeah. I think it's more you you're inherently more you're less risk averse. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's less risk averse than the general public. Yeah, yeah. And so people say you lack common sense because Fair because enough. of them. Yeah, fair enough. And that, that's why it irritates me because it's like these people are in some moral high ground that uses a fallback just because they're taking no risks. Fair enough. <laughs> that, that felt, that, that's probably harsher than I, I meant it, but <laughs> th- th- mm. again, none of these are an intention of the people that we're talking about. It's just cool, that's how, that's how, yeah, exactly, <laughs> that's how, that's how it's, it can be perceived. Cool. Right, Neil. Now it's numero uno. <laughs> <laughs> no, numero uno, you'll from the same region, south of England, that I came across when I was down there. And this is, I, I used the example because that's where I would get most annoyed, is where I'm, I'm hearing other, I'm forced to hear other people's conversations on the London Underground. And the one, this is the one, if I heard this, I would get up and change carriage. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Popularised. As I lived in West London, I heard this quite a lot. Of people getting on the train, this but this works both across both genders as well. So I'm not being yes, picky with this does. one. Uh, um, are, are you are you using this as the noun or the sort of the the other? I suppose the other way defies any sort of reasonable. I would like it's just a, a replacement for yeah, it's yeah, but they say after yeah. it's, it's popularized by made in Chelsea. Yeah, darling. Well, not yeah, it's made made mainstream by that. I was thinking. I was thinking more that we called a certain uh, socio-economic group at university Yaz. Yeah. No. What do you mean? People I've never heard that yeah. before. People who said yeah. 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 All oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've not heard that one, but if I heard that people talking like that, I would. I would have to get up and go to a different carriage. I couldn't. I just can't handle it. Oof, that's intense. But I can. Probably that's probably a common theme. Yeah. Probably. But yeah, it's not really used a lot of places. It's used by the social elite. middle, middle and upper class, <laughs> or aspiring middle class um, millennials. Usually, they still speak well. If we are millennials, I suppose then, yeah. True. Yeah. So Dan, number uno. Right. Well, I've got honourable mentions. Uh, just quickly, go for it. I- I've just used one of them as well. Uh and uh. I hate air and er, and I hate it more now than I ever did in the past, and I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the challenge of, uh, I think, the joy, the joy is not the challenge, the joys of editing this podcast bring bring me quite a lot of contact with airs and ers, but people have been learning, but some people have been slipping, Gregor. And I started off strong. Folk. You did, you did. It's always I could I could even do a I could even do a, a psychological profile of your airs and errs and tell you exactly what you're feeling at the time or when you're using them. So it's, be- it's because it's because you try to. I, I used to. I, I tend to use the pauses in my speech, and it's because yes. you were critical of those pauses. <laughs> I started to speed up my speaking, and so I've had to use the, these sort of crutches instead. Oh, don't worry, don't worry about it. Just use your common sense. Yeah. <laughs> so literally, it's people have done. Oh, no offense, but uh, <laughs> so my number one 
and I've hated it since I was in high school. And I had a friend who used to say it all the time, it is same difference. Yeah. It is the okay. the devil's spawn to say same <laughs> difference because it doesn't make sense. It's not the same difference. If it's the same difference, then it's not. You know, it's not even... It's used as a, as a lazy, unimaginative response to something without thinking through the nature of putting positive and negative words next to each other. But it's a humorous response. I'm guilty of saying this in my younger days. I don't think it's funny in the slightest. I've never heard... Mm. I've heard people use it in arguments. Oh, same difference. No, it isn't. I would always say it a humorous... I would always... I used it it in my teen years, and I used it as a humorous way. I'm sure you'd be using it. Because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. So you would use it humorously. I've always taken it to mean just same thing. And I've always... I don't think I've ever used same difference, but I've always understood those to be interchangeable but it's, it does mean yeah it just means the same thing yeah well, it's used and, to be the same thing but it means that two things have exactly the same thing that they don't have in common yeah no but under, no so you com- could, common modern understanding it is interchangeable no, it, with it, it com- common modern laziness when it comes to language <laughs> understands it to mean i mean language develops though yeah i would say an example would be like say, uh, I'll meet you at, I'll meet you at the train station at three oh five, and I'll I'll be there at three. Yeah, same difference. It's not the same difference. I know, but I would you, use that you know, because it's like the same you thing. You wouldn't say same difference. You'd say, okay, you're five minutes early. <laughs> no, no, but you, you could say, say it's it's in the grand scheme of things that is effectively the same thing as what you're saying by saying same difference. Yeah, I just go. Okay, I wouldn't feel the need to say same difference because it doesn't add anything to the discussion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say either, but it's, at it's, the same it's, time, it's a waste like, of I, syllables. It's <laughs> a waste of breath. <laughs> it's the, it's the, two syllables, too many. Absolutely. Your vocal cords are being ta- far too taxed by these words. You could have, I mean, you could have said okay and had gone back to nose, bre- nose breathing by that point instead of saying all the way, going all the way through to same difference. It's, I, I find it repugnant. As a, as a as a as a phrase as a I'm not even sure what it is. It's just sort of a it's a bit like a I don't know. It's like an appendix. It's got no real purpose, but people pretend it was useful at some point. You know, it's 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 rubbish. It's dire, diabolical, infernal. But yeah, my number one, it's a Gregor. By number one, it's not been mentioned. Um, I won't ask you to guess. This is this is basically why this list exists. To be honest, this phrase. <laughs> this is how. This is. This is the sole reason for doing the top ten. Please tell me it's like, and it's fairly new. I only heard it in the last few years. It is you do you. You heard this? Yes. Done of you. I have, but not very often. I've not heard it often either. But when I do. It's something special. It's usually assigned <laughs> to a gender, this one. <laughs> is it? Yeah, in my experience, yes. Which yeah. one? Because I've only heard one gender say it. And the I've, female but, gender, yeah, I would say. That, I've not heard a female say it. I've, I've never known females say so many things, Neil. Actually, I have. <laughs> <I don't laughs> How many females no, do you I, speak to? My blood was boiling on these underground journeys. Oh, <laughs> are you sure? Are, 
are you sure it's these phrases you've got an issue with, Neil? I'm not. Not <laughs> <laughs> something else. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so again, in this one in particular, I get what the intention is of saying this. It is you're an individual and you're free to make up your own mind about the things you want to do, and I respect that. However, the ways in which this occurs usually go along the lines of party one exclaiming something or proposing something that they think would be beneficial to the group for them to do or beneficial for them to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. Party two says something, yeah, that that I, I don't agree with your assessment of the situation. <laughs> Part, party one says, well, I've thought about this, this, and this, and I, I really do think this is the correct course of action. Then party says, yeah, you do you. Uh-huh. And so at that point, party two has said, I am not acknowledging that you've put forward a, a decent argument, or you've that you have thought through this situation correctly. I'm just going to fall back on the fact that it's your decision to make, and yeah. you obviously, I'm not, I'm not really interested <laughs> whether, yeah, whether we agree on this or not. And that's how, it, that's how I feel it comes across, despite its intent. It's obvious, non-malicious intent, but yeah. it's just a complete disinterest from. Party two, really, and anything that you've you've said or any of the points you've raised, mm-hmm. and it's just well, it's it's nothing to do with me. Uh, you do whatever you want to. Do. Yeah, I'm it's sure just I've heard it, this in a it, film before. Have you? I, yeah. I don't think it's a, I don't know if it's a modern thing, but yeah, I think I think it's me. a modern thing. I'm pretty sure it is. No, I agree. It is. It's a. It's really non-committal. <sighs> It kind of makes me think of. I think the problem with a lot of these is that that these are statements or phrases or which are unnecessary, but they they serve a purpose. They must have served a purpose to have been created, but for us, they don't serve a purpose. I suppose. I think yours, the particular center upon the language being used and the sort of antiquated. Interpretation of that language. Ouch! No offense, though. Not, a, not a bad way. <laughs> but <laughs> you antiquated. <laughs> but but not antiquated is the wrong word. In the the truest sense of the words being used, uh-huh. and that's what ir- irritates you about yes. uh, your phrases, which is completely legitimate. Mine's, yeah. I think, are more the interpretation of the person that's on the receiving end of them. I think, and it's yeah. not that it's not. It doesn't come across the way they were intended. I think yeah. it's a disparity in what the person saying them intends, which I've no doubt, I'm sure is again not malicious, but yeah. the way that they can be can be taken. Yeah. Apart from apart from water, apart from Watergate, it's just that really irritates me, <laughs> and, and me as well. That's just kind of that's more of a clutch thing. Yes, it is. No, I I, I agree with that. There's we become we've become increasingly. We're reliant on... It's almost like fillers in conversations, isn't it, though? It's sort of... Like you say, it's, it's a crutch, it's a go-to, rather than coming up with anything with a original. And everybody knows, in theory, what you're trying to say anyway, so why bother? I mean, this was my worry about this list. It is quite negative, but... Um, so we could maybe do top ten phrases I do like or something next time. Could do. Could do. 
10 years Elon Musk predicts that we will no longer be talking to each other right, the, the less Elon Musk mentioned this podcast the better as well that's my number 6 <laughs> number 6 Elon, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. <laughs> Elon Musk yeah. cool I think I, I think that was a really good like even, if it was, even though it was just 5 or 4 you know 4 slash 5 it, you, we got a lot of discussion out of that I quite like that you know it's quite yeah, good uh, I, I thought it'd be different because we only had one crossover there yeah Quality, quality, not quantity, isn't it? You know, you don't need to have loads. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Well, thank you for that, Gregor. Good. It's the one we've all good, been waiting good, for. A good top four, a quarter, four and a half. Good top four and a half. <laughs> yep. Anytime. So we're moving on to the last segment of our show, um, and we're looking at conspiracy corner. Do 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 do. So this time around, I've gone for something good old, reliable, and safe, a safe, a safe place, so to speak. And I just want to talk a wee bit about the Roswell UFO incident of 1947. I remember it well. And for a bit of background, you know, I'll, I'll talk. A, I'm sure you guys have all heard of this. You must have heard of this. This one's a guarantee. I've heard of it, so I'm just... Uh, I've heard, I've heard of it, Don't yeah. worry, I'll, I'll tell you plenty, Neil. You don't need to read. So, the Roswell UFO incident took place in 1947, and it revolved around an object which crashed 30 miles north of Roswell in New Mexico. Now, this object was found by the ranch foreman of the land in which it fell, called William Brazel. Um, Brazel heard, had been hearing rumours for a while about flying saucers being spotted in the area and he told the sheriff of it following the crash. It's believed to have crashed sometime around July the 6th, though there's debate about actually when it happened. Brazel told the sheriff, who called RAAF Major Jesse Marcel, Lieutenant Colonel Sheridan Cavett and Master Sergeant Bill Rickett and they came down to investigate the incident. Now this is where I find this story does become interesting because it goes, I think this is flies in the face of a lot of the stuff we talk about because on the 8th of July the RAAF reported the discovery of a flying saucer at the crash site. So this site the the Air Force reported was ha, had been a UFO and it had crashed. Uh, well, I mean, a flying saucer, whether it was a, an unidentified flying extraterrestrial object or not, they didn't specify, but it was a flying saucer. However, on July the 9th, the story changed to it being a weather balloon. And you know, as I said, there was a lot of talk at the time about flying saucers supposedly in the area. And actually, if you look at the information, there's quite a lot of reported UFO activity following the Second World War in North America, so sort of 45 up to 55-ish time. So this was sort of in the middle of of events and reportings of flying saucers. So the story went from being a flying saucer to being a weather balloon. And so attention faded away, even amongst UFO enthusiasts, until events took a quite a sharp change between 1978 and 1994 when in that time UFO enthusiasts and UFO investigators began looking into this a bit further 
and they came away with hundreds of eyewitness statements from interviews and information that they'd gleaned from freedom of information requests. And the conclusion was of all of this activity that aliens have visited the Earth, aliens crash-landed in a UFO in 1947, 1947, 30 miles north of Roswell. The craft was recovered bodies were recovered from the object as well and that the information was being kept suppressed by the US government and government agencies uh, following that there was congressional investigations congressional committees investigated this uh, occurrence and two reports were written one in 1994 and one in 1997 the first one in 1994 claimed that the object that was recovered was part of Operation Mughal, which was a secret high-altitude weather balloon surveillance piece of technology that was being used. Uh, or, as it was concluded in 1997, when they actually reflected on the reports of bodies, it was believed that it was a combination, combina combination of transferred memories from the Second World War for people who may have seen bodies, and somehow this was being there was some type of cognitive transference of memories, and also test dummies which were spotted falling when they when they were performing Operation High Dive. So for for Roswell, which has obviously become synonymous. It's probably the number the number one UFO incident people think of when it comes to you know around the world because it's so well known. It seems to have jumped around a lot. There's a lot of information information given out early on. There, there's a lot of communication. But one of the things that was interesting as well was that the report of the weather balloon on July the ninth, nineteen forty seven, was actually a cover story because the object that they they later revealed was in fact a nuclear test monitoring machine. So it was a device that was sent into high altitude to monitor when they were performing nuclear tests because that was that was a time, you know, Cold War hadn't quite quite kicked off. It was still kicking off at that point and there's still a lot of experimentation with, with nuclear weapons to testing yields and testing different varieties, whether they be hydrogen, you know, using plutonium or uranium and things like that so you know that supposedly they were they were they were monitoring the tests using this but they called it a weather balloon but they had previously called it a flying saucer so what do you guys think about it like i i generally think roswell is one of the less crazy ones because it is actually a very interesting study you know sort of something that's been studied for a very long time and there's a lot of information about it really if you know when it comes to conspiracy kind of things it's actually probably the least conspiratorial i suppose because there's so much it's not like somebody said this so it must be a conspiracy the world's most famous most exhausted exhaustively investigated and most thoroughly debunked ufo claim there we go is how it's described by who Wikipedia. <laughs> um, it just reminds me of the aircraft that they get that gets talked about by our leader. What's his name again? Boris Johnson. 
No, um, the UFO guy. Bob Lazar. In America. Bob Lazar, yeah. Oh, reminds, me of, reminds me of Bob Lazar. These aircraft that he talked about in Area 51. I don't know anything about it. It seems like there's a lot of information here on it. But it says the most thorough debunked claim. A lot of UFO stuff's been debunked, though. If you listen to the debunkers, yeah, I think. The, 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 see this. I, I think what the, the debunking involves is the is the fact that the recovered debris was not of alien origin. I think that bit has been debunked. Nobody's seen that. Nobody's seen the debris. This is just what the authorities have said. You know, it's because that's, that's the classic line, though. I know, but if you take that as red, which I think is is fair to do, because that was the report at the time. The original report defined this, so I, I think I, I don't think it's fair to dispute the fact that the nuclear test surveillance balloon from Project Mogul did come down that night. I think that's fair. I think, I think to accept that is is fair. Do we agree? Yeah. Yes, so it's it's either I've not looked in, at this in any great depth beyond what Dan has told told us there and what I've been able to read on Wikipedia <laughs> whilst he's been telling us that, but it, it would be it would need to be something else also either some extraterrestrial craft caused that to come down, or it just happened that there were also this sort of these sort of investigations military investigations occurring at that place, and also this military balloon came down, which is unlikely. Do you get me? I think so. I'm not sure if you get yourself, the, the intent, intense look on both of your faces as you're reading. Yeah, I, I think I think, I think, think it's just, like Neil said, there's a lot of information to take in here, but it looks like beyond the actual crashing of the balloon, there's a lot, there seems to be more going on. I, I can't really comment on that, because I've not looked into it, but it looks, it looks interesting, and I, I have heard semi-reputable UFOlogists talking about Roswell as if it was some sort of major incident so for that reason alone it's obviously worth investigating but it's not something I've looked into there must be a cracking uh, they could probably do a whole series on this in do, Ancient do Aliens you think they've <laughs> never spoken about it before <laughs> <laughs> everything oh, goes series. Roswell at the pyramids or something like that. It's usually what you know, fall back. I might need to find this episode of Ancient Aliens. There's, there are so many programs about yeah, Roswell. It, it looks like it looks like beyond the basic story of the crashed balloon, there's other like witness testimony that something happened. Not necessarily. Not yeah. necessarily linked to that, yeah. But yeah. in that area, it's, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting one because it has been so thoroughly studied, and that it has persisted. And mm-hmm. I can totally appreciate the fact that there are plenty of people out there who suspect that the government and all the agencies are all working against us, and that they're determined to cover everything up. But it's the persistence, and almost the, you know, it's a bit like of of a lot of conspiracy stuff. It's probably treated as the one of the le- least crazy ones out there. I think it's because they had yeah. that, they've got that front page article. Find yeah. 
uh, and and official statements made by the authorities. Yeah, and I think it's just the sort of confusion around the change in story between that and the weather yeah. and an eventual um, yeah. nuclear surveillance yeah. disclosure. It's that confuses class, people it's, and is worthy of. It's a classic modern panic, isn't it? You know, now if somebody mm-hmm. suddenly changes their story, there must be something behind it. There must be something going on. So, and it's got this extra uh, sort of intrigue in the fact that it's historical as well, and so it can't be studied directly. Yeah. Especially it's now so long yeah. ago, what sixty, seventy yeah, years ago, yeah, seventy, seventy-three years long ago, time. just yeah. passed, and so there's there's almost no living survivors, presumably. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, there's this sort of secondary yeah. evidence at this or, stage. Or anything that was recorded at the time, so... Yeah. <clears throat> I'd say it's, it's almost become like a historical event. Well, it has, yeah, exactly, it has, yeah. which makes it even more... Yeah, which makes it even more open to sort of conjecture. Absolutely. Well, I, I'll stop there. Um, thank you guys for, for that. Yeah, so that's the end of the episode, everyone. We've had a, we've had a good chat, I think. We've covered a lot of topics. Very wide ranging, as always. I think Neil should permanently be in charge of the health section. <laughs> that should just be Neil's health section now. Uh, he's consistent. Can I take on that mantle? <laughs> Again, not medical advice. That was it, like hack, hack corner or hack something. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So thanks, guys, if you've listened. Much appreciated. Tenth episode is now done. Hard to believe now. And just thank you all for listening. And if you want to get in touch with us or if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at, at can I interject? And also you can email us at can I interject podcast at gmail.com. Tell your friends, tell your family. <laughs> so that's all from me. And me. And me. Welcome back, everyone, to the fact check and the catch up after you've listened to the episode. As always, I'm sure we'll have plenty of fact check. So, for that, I'm going to pass it over to our ever studious. Investigator, Inquisitor, Gregor. So for me, I had, I said, I think I said Lent, or I claimed Lent was in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Doesn't count Sundays, but they're they're the one of the denominations that does count Sundays and Lent. So there we go. That was it for me. I don't know if you've picked up anything. <laughs> I, ne- I never, you know me, Greg. I don't pick up anything. I think everything's fair game, to be honest, to be interpreted by anybody. Yeah. <laughs> And what about general thoughts on this then? In episode 10? Start with you, Dan. I don't even know why you'd even bother starting with Neil. Um, I, 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 I think you should know what to say from you. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the catch up. I enjoyed the catch up that I listened to in the car today. He's such a, he's such a committed analyst. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I think, you know, episode 10. We're getting really into our stride now. Hard to believe that we got that we managed to get through episode one. Let alone get to the end of an episode ten. 
Um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I've tried a slightly different editing approach to this one to try and speed it up a bit because the more we're adding into the podcast and the more we're, you know, sometimes when the conversation gets quite lively and more people are talking, it's a lot more work to try and splice it all together. So I'm trying to let it flow a bit more, a little bit more overlap, but trying to keep the overlap to places where it's not going to interfere with any key points, opinions that people have. Uh, overlap mainly seems to be stuck to the bits where somebody's getting heckled or somebody said something truly worth laughing at. So I've tried to, I've tried to be respectful for for everyone's opinions. Um, I, I, They're few and far between anyway. What, op- opinions? <laughs> no, those two. <laughs> those two instances you called out there. We try, but we try though. Neil, any thoughts? Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. I plan on finishing, yet. finishing it off in the car uh, this week on my long drives. Great. You can catch up with the rest of our listeners then. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, on the editing, yeah, I, I quite liked it because prior to this, we'd kind of have the reactions separated, but I did like it that was uh, kind of overlapping just as we kind of record it. But yeah, I, pro- I probably preferred editing in this episode just because of that mm-hmm. whole bit where it was... It flowed a bit better, a bit more natural. I definitely, yeah. I definitely noticed that as well. Yeah. Good, I'm pleased. Well, thanks for that, guys. Episode 10, in the bag. Easy peasy. Onwards to episode 100. <laughs>